Okay, so my family, we just, uh, uh, a week ago before VBS, we got back from vacation, and one uh, evening, uh, Brenna and I were out to dinner, and I was thinking about something that for some reason I've often thought about, and I turned it into a question to ask her. And I asked this question, which to her probably made no sense of what I was asking. It'll probably make no sense to you what I was asking. It made perfect sense to me because I already had the answer for me. Uh, but the question was, uh, I said, what? I said something like this. What experience do you wish you could have or feel that you'll probably never have or feel? And right now, as you're thinking, like, what the heck is that kind of question? She was probably thinking the exact same thing at dinner. Um, but I asked her that question, and here's why I asked, okay? Here's why I asked, because for some reason, I think I know why, but for some reason, every now and then, I'll think of, uh, th this was my answer, the, an experience that I wish I could have that I will probably, hopefully, never have is this. I would love the experience of having the first meal, the first just unbelievable meal after being stranded on a deserted island after about a year or two. If these are not things you think about driving around Waco, I can't help you, all right? Um, I've thought about this multiple times. I think it's because of the movie Castaway. I'm not positive, but that was what I was thinking in my head. In my head, I was thinking, how good? I mean, think about it. Just think about it for a second. How good would that double-double taste after being stranded on an island for a year. You know what I mean? Some of you are with me. Um, it would just be, it would be, so I said, hey, what was the, I can't remember her answer, but that's my answer. Now, I think Castaway put this in my mind. If you've seen that movie with Tom Hanks, there's a scene, he gets, um, spoiler alert, he gets rescued from the island, and then they have this like big feast for him. And I still remember that scene very clearly. I remember a lot of food scenes from movies clearly for some reason. Um, hopefully, I will never get to experience that, though, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's kind of a tension in my mind because I want to experience it. Hopefully, I never experience it because that means I have to go through the stranded part. All right? I've got to go through the year on the island, the two years on the island. I've got to go through the stranded uh, part on the island. And when I think about being stranded on an island and why I would never want to do that, there's the obvious reasons. There's the obvious reasons. Um, I don't want to die. Um, I'm going to be uh, hungry beyond belief. I'm going to be thirsty beyond belief. But I think one of the hardest things, if you think about being stranded on an island, um, just as we all prepare for that likely scenario one day, uh, if you think about being stranded on an island, I think one of the hardest things would be this. One of the first things I would do, having watched um, almost every season of Survivor, not to brag. One of the first things I would do is I'd light a fire, and then I would find a place to just send out a signal, right? Like I would get rocks and spell out SOS or save me so I can have this great experience of this meal. Whatever it was, I would spell it out and make it huge and just send that signal, that cry for help up to the sky every single day. And I think one of the hardest parts about being stranded would be the, the unbelievable skepticism I know I would have that it would ever be seen. This cry for help that every day I maybe see, I know is there, that I'm sending out, and one of the hardest things beyond the hunger, the thirst, whatever it might be, would be I've got this specific cry for help going out, and I'm unbelievably skeptical that it's ever going to be seen. I think that would be one of the hardest parts, having confidence at all 
that someone one day is going to see it. And I think as I began to lose my mind on this island, I think that I would also wonder if anybody's going to care. Like, what if someone flies over, sees this cry for help, and they're like, oh, that's probably old. There's no way I just discovered someone stranded on an island, you know? So that would be one of the hardest things for, for me, I think. I think for some of us, if you're like me, uh, our prayer life feels that way. Our prayer life as Christians and as believers can feel skeptical at best. I send up cries for help, and I am just not so confident that they're heard. Or if they are heard, I'm not so confident that he cares enough to answer. Does he really know my need? Does he really know my plight? Well, he's God. He knows everything, so yes. But does he care enough to intervene? I mean, it sounds silly theologically to think um, that maybe he would know our need, but he wouldn't answer. Maybe that sounds like, I, I don't believe that theologically on paper. But when you're praying, don't you often feel that? Like, I know he hears me. I know he knows my need. I just don't know if he cares to intervene. I think I care more about my distress. I think I might have friends that care more than God about my distress and what I need. I think oftentimes in our prayer lives, whether it's in a certain prayer, a certain need, or a whole season of life, we are skeptical at best, lacking confidence that God hears us, or if he does hear us, that he cares. So if that's you and you are like me in that skepticism, in that struggle, then Psalm 18 is for you. So if you would stand with me and let's read Psalm 18 together. Psalm 18 is a long psalm, and so I have taken out selections so that we get a good idea of this psalm. So here we go. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones, of coal, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, and at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hands... Your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. 
The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, if you look in your Bibles uh, to the beginning of Psalm 18, you will see how David, the author of this psalm, begins. He begins with this confident, heartfelt love for the Lord. Verse 1, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Then he says bold things in verses uh, 2 and 3 like this. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Now, this can be hard to read. This can be hard to read for us. If you crack open Psalm 18 one morning or evening, afternoon, and you read this, it can be hard to read. It can even be convicting. It can be convicting because David is here praying, and we find it hard to pray. I mean, you might read this and go, it's convicting already to read this and even observe this because I find it hard to pray at all, or I'm so skeptical in my prayers. Uh, Perhaps when you read verse 1, I love you, O Lord, you right now find it hard to relate. You go, I don't know. I I believe in Jesus Christ and I trust him, but I don't feel or sense very much love for God at all. And so even that can be kind of uh, hard to read. I'm skeptical. I wonder if God cares. And so these bold opening verses in Psalm 18 from David can force us to consider why we can't relate near as much, perhaps. Why we don't have the confidence, the heartfelt love, even the motivation to pray at all. Why are we so skeptical that God will hear us? Why don't we have the confidence that David seems to have in these opening verses? And why is David so confident? I mean, how did David get to the place of being in verses 1, 2, and 3 in the beginning of the psalm of of this confidence I love you, I pray to you, and and my voice reaches your temple. You hear me, and you respond. Here's the good news. The rest of this psalm is going to show us how David got there. Oftentimes, a psalm will start in one place, and then it will rewind. And it will say, now I'm going to show you in the rest of this psalm how I got there. And that's exactly what's going to happen in verse 18. So let's start the journey of Psalm 18 in verse 4. It starts where we often start, in verse 4. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, or the realm of the dead, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. David, if you know his story at all, he is here remembering the the deathly perils that he has had to live through. I mean, you think of, of the story of David and Goliath facing near perhaps certain death if it's not for God to intervene. You think of King Saul uh, uh, hunting down David to kill him. You think of his own son hunting him down to kill him. David has lived through a lot, and he has stared again and again and again. He has stared death in the face. Now, this is actually helpful. I know that seems like, well, I can't really relate to it. It's actually very helpful because if David was here where the realm of the dead, he says, was entangling me and trying to swallow me whole, if he was there and God answered, then wherever you are, God can answer. 
Wherever you're at this morning, God can intervene and answer. For you, it might mean the death of a friendship that you're going through right now. It might mean you feel like um, your marriage is dying. So it could be the feeling of the death of a marriage. It could feel like the death of a relationship with a son or a daughter. For you this morning, the most pressing thing before you could be your own actual approaching death. It could be financial hardship. It could be a general insecurity regarding your place in life and your purpose in life and why am I here and what am I here to do. You can probably identify right now where you need God to answer, where you feel like the ground underneath your feet is like sinking sand. It's not solid. You can probably identify where you need rescue, where you need deliverance, where you need help, where you need support. It's actually potentially quite easy to identify. And if you can't, let me, just give you, let me just give you the bad news. The Bible says that you and I stand in need of saving from sin. As we confessed earlier that the wages of sin is death. You and I stand in need of saving and deliverance from sin and from death swallowing us whole. And oftentimes in our distress, we are skeptical. Am I being heard? Is my voice reaching his ears? And is he going to respond? Does he care enough to respond? So let's see what happened with David when he cried for help. In this psalm, David is going to poetically talk about how God rescued him. He's going to use poetry and imagery so that we don't just know the fact that God responded to him, but we can feel the force of it. We can really feel it um, and feel the force of what God did. So look at verse 6. This is God's response. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens, and he came down. This is the response of someone who says, I will literally move heaven and earth in my response to you. I will shake the very foundation of the cosmos, if that's what it takes, to respond to you and to get you what you need. This imagery here, David is describing essentially a dragon. I mean, it's kind of wild. Uh, breathing out fire, smoke coming out of God's nostrils, eyes like fiery coals. I mean, that's the image of a dragon. So think about what David is saying. This is spectacular. David is saying, I asked for defense. I needed someone to defend me. And a dragon was unleashed on my behalf. A dragon showed up to defend me. And he doesn't stop there. The imagery changes in verses 11 through 15. David doesn't stop there, saying this is what God's rescue is like, a fire-breathing dragon on my behalf. He goes, I need to say more. God is then seen, starting in verse 11, like a paralyzing storm. Look at verse 11. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings 
and routed them. I don't know if you've ever been, a lot of us being here in Texas, we've been caught in bad storms, you know? Uh, when when, a, when like a, a decent storm rolls in, we all start going, is it a Wait, it's tornado warning or t- tornado watch? Which one is where the tornado's on the ground again? You know, when do I run? Um, storms are terrifying. One, a couple summers ago, um, I've maybe talked about this in a sermon before, but we were in Florida and a hurricane was approaching. And for a couple days, we were having to track this hurricane because I'm in this condo on the beach and this hurricane is literally like the coordinates are like the coaches. It's like the weatherman's like, where's the tornado headed? Wherever the coaches are. I mean, it's literally coming straight at us. And I've got three kids who can't swim, and uh, the beach is maybe 100 yards, and the ocean already, days before it's supposed to hit landfall, has moved up like 50 yards to this dune right in front of our condo. And so I have this ominous sight before me of this massive dune, and the ocean should be like 50 yards away from it, and I'm watching water just spray up as, as waves have are just smashing this dune. And I've got these little kids who can't swim. And at one point, I bring in life jackets because I'm like, okay, if the ocean comes in, I'm looking down and there's water. Like, they can't swim. And honestly, I was getting terrified of the thought of this water breaking over this dune and then looking down from the balcony just seeing ocean with three little kids um, who can't swim. A, A bad storm, a bad storm is an absolute nightmare to deal with. So think about and see what David is saying. I asked for defense, and a hurricane was unleashed on my behalf. I asked for defense, and a dragon was unleashed to defend me. I asked for defense, and a hurricane was unleashed to defend me. That is enough to grab our attention, to grab the attention of our hearts. But David continues. Going, skipping down to verse 31, David returns again to explain God's rescue. Most of this psalm is David thinking about and remembering God rescue him, rescuing him. And then in verse 31, he says this, For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. David moves from poetic imagery about God's rescue to more literal understanding and explanation of how he was rescued. David literally needed skill in war throughout his life. He needed hands trained for war. And so David says that's exactly what he got. In other words, this is so simple and yet so profound because it touches what we long for. David says, I asked God for something that I needed, and he gave it to me. Wouldn't that be great at at the end of this week if you could say the same? I mean, if you could say that and if you could feel it and if you could know it. I asked God for something I needed, and he said, okay, here you go. Exactly what you need. That is what David says there. He gave me exactly what I needed. He saw his ability to persevere through his hardship and the perils of death. He saw it as God's right hand, God's shield before him, God's horn of salvation. He says, I asked for defense and I got exactly what I needed, the ability to defend myself. God, I need this. Okay, here you go. Our answer for how to be confident in prayer is often formulaic. 
I'm just struggling in my prayer life. I'm struggling with confidence. I just feel skeptical. I find it hard to pray. And our answer for how to get to David's place of confident love for God and confident prayer is often formulaic. Well, if you would just read more of the Bible, you'll end up praying more. You know, or if you just pray more, you'll pray more. Right? Um, maybe you have some sin to confess that will, that will unlock you know, a solid prayer life, or you need to live an authentic community, what, whatever it might be. Our answers often form, formulate, how did David get there, though? How did David get to verses 1 and 2? I love you, O Lord. I'm confident you hear my voice. This is how he summarizes it in verse 19. Make sure you put your eyes on verse 19, because this is a summary of how God responded to him. He says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. How did David become so confident in prayer? He knew God delighted in him. He knew that God's fierce, aggressive rescue of him came from a place of personal, deep, heartfelt delight. This is my son, and I delighted him, and so I will send a dragon to defend him. I will unleash a hurricane on anyone who dares to touch him. It came from a place of delight. God did not rescue David because he was indebted to David, because David deserved it or earned it. It wasn't a technicality. Well, technically, he prayed the Lord's Prayer seven times, and so now I have to respond. No, it came from a deep, personal, heartfelt delight from the heart of God in David. How do we become confident? How do we become motivated at all to pray? The answer is that we have to know God delights in us. I don't think any of us can have a healthy, strong, consistent prayer life for a while without knowing God delights in us. He has a deep, heartfelt, personal delight in us. We often believe God loves us. I know God loves me, but we're not so sure about this whole delighting thing. You know, we think about how, like, we can love a family member, but be greatly annoyed by them. We can love a friend. I love them, but I don't really want to be around them right now, right? Um, I love my enemies. They don't delight my heart but I love them. I think oftentimes we think about God like that. He loves me. I just annoy the tar out of him. He loves me, yes, I know, but I don't know how much he wants to hear from me uh, or especially answer me. But what if we knew God loved us and that included this understanding of this, this delight, this taking pleasure in us, this taking joy in us. I think if we knew that, we would pray. We, we would pray. It just would happen spontaneously. We would pray if we knew, God, like David, you delight in me. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're not David, so how, how do I know that God delights in me? Colin, you're talking about David. How do I know God delights in me? The same way David knew. Look at verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. 
for I have kept the ways of the Lord and, not, and have not wickedly departed from my God. Now, if you just read that and you just paid attention, I know that that feels and is unexpected. That seems like, what in the world did David just say? He responded to me because I'm righteous? He responded to me because I do good things? Did he just say God responded to me because, like, I deserve it? Is that what David is saying? Because if that's the case, I'll be the first to say I'm hopeless. Why pray at all? I mean, if God only responds to good people, I'm out. The context here is everything. This psalm is from Second uh, Samuel, comes from 2 Samuel 22 or vice versa. And in 2 Samuel 22, we read of a little-known story between David and this woman Bathsheba. Also in verse 25, notice that David says this, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. So David is not here saying, God answered me because I have no sin. We're talking about the David in the David and Bathsheba. We're talking about the David here in verse 25 who says, I need mercy. David is not here saying, you responded to me because I'm without sin or I've met a certain level of righteousness. I've gotten to a certain level of obedience and you have seen that and so you have answered me. I think the whole picture and the key is in verse 21. Look at verse 21. He says, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. The opposite in Psalm 18 of this picture of righteousness that David is getting us is to depart from God and to deny him. It's to be an enemy of God. It's to run far from God, not seek to be near uh, to him. So the believer in Psalm 18, David, is not someone saying, I'm without sin, I don't struggle with sin. The believer is someone saying, I've got two options. I can run from God, or I can seek to cling to him in faith. I can repent, I can bring my sin to him. I can bring my unworthiness to him, or I can take that elsewhere, to another God, or to no God at all. So David says, you responded to me because I haven't departed from you. This is, this is actually life-changing for prayer, because we are skeptical in prayer, but David is here saying, don't be surprised when God answers your prayers. That's what he's saying. He is saying, if you are walking with God and by walking with God, I don't mean being anywhere close to perfect. I just mean if you're walking with Jesus, don't be surprised when he answers your prayers. That's what David's saying. I walk with God, and he responds to me. We can put it like this. If you are the prodigal son in the prodigal son story, and you run into the far country, don't be surprised when the father's blessings aren't near to you. But if you are home... And if you've stayed home with the Father, why would you be surprised when the Father's blessings surround you? Have you earned it? Of course not. Do you deserve it? No way. But don't be surprised when you cling to God in faith that he responds to you. This is not some guarantee. David is not saying if you're walking with God, you'll be spared of all suffering. We know that many people can go through great suffering. They can feel like their prayers aren't answered. We know that many unfaithful people, people without faith in God and without faith in Jesus can seem to live great lives. He's not giving us some weird guarantee here on what to expect in prayer. 
But he is saying, if you are walking with God in faith, don't be surprised when he answers your prayers. It's what he's delighted to do. That's the first observation of what David is saying, but it doesn't give us the full answer. You still might be going, okay, I get that, but I, I, I'm just now coming to Jesus this morning. I have no track record, record, record of walking with God. Or you might be thinking, I, I've really kind of abandoned my faith in recent years, and I've just recently come back, and so I feel like I have no track record of walking with God, and so that doesn't really give me much hope that he's going to answer. So does God delight in me today? Does God delight in you today? To answer that fully, we have to go where Psalm 18 ultimately goes. Psalm 18 is, a, is what theologians have called a royal psalm. It's a psalm about the king of Israel. And it's a psalm from the king of Israel, who in many ways represented not only Israel before the nations, but before God. Um, however went the king, so went Israel. If the king was a godly king, he would lead Israel and God's people in godliness. If he was an ungodly king, he would lead the nation uh, away from God. And David being a, a chief of sinners, though a great king, also with great sin. Ultimately, he in Psalm 18 points us forward to another king who would come in David's line, a king who could say in full truth, I have never once departed from God. I am righteous, perfectly, personally, perpetually. I have fulfilled the law of God Perfectly. That is what Psalm 18 and that is what David ultimately points us forward to. And so this king from the line of David, Jesus shows up one day. And what's interesting is that in the life of Jesus, we hear the voice of the Father a handful of times. And almost every single time in the Gospels we hear the Father speak, you know what he says about Jesus? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I delight in him. I delight in him. I am pleased with him. I love him. But in a twist, he would not be treated as one who was delightful to the Father. Because Jesus would go to the cross, and on the cross, he would not be rewarded for his righteousness. He would not be rewarded for the cleanness of his hands. He would be regarded as someone, as this psalm says, who has wickedly departed from God, left the faith. Jesus would go to the dark side of the storm at the cross. Jesus would go to the dark side of the dragon on the cross. And he would drink the cup of the Father's wrath in full that is reserved for those who deserve it in their sin, which is you and it's me. He would not on the cross be rescued from the cords of death. He would not on the cross be rescued from the entanglements of Sheol and the realm of the dead. He would be swallowed whole at the cross by death, and he would do it for you and me. The son who delights the father would go to the cross and experience the complete opposite dread, and displeasure. And he would do it in your place, and he would do it in my place for us. Then he would be rescued from death. He would rise and resurrect in righteousness so that you and I, through faith alone, by God's grace alone, 
would only and always and ever experience the delight of God. That God could look at you and God could look at me because of the righteousness of not you but the Son and say, you are my beloved daughter and in you I am well pleased. You're my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I delight. I delight in you. Knowing and experiencing and remembering God's delight in you, the delight that would, that would move him to send his own son to die for you, to rise for you, will, will slowly but surely move you closer and closer to a place where you can pray with some confidence. If he would send his own son for me, I bet he'll provide this need I have. If he would send Jesus for me, I bet today he would be delighted to hear my voice. Amen.